Turning in the Lord's Word tonight to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. <clears throat> we'll read the entire psalm together, Psalm 31. Begin our reading in verse 1. Let's give our attention to the God-breathed Word. In Thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy namesake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they delivered to take away my life. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. 
For I have said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardst the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. O oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. And God will bless that reading of his sacred word to our hearts for his name's sake. Please bow your head and heart with me for a moment. Let's ask the Lord to draw near to us. Father in heaven, we acknowledge tonight that where two or three are gathered together in thy name, thou art there in the midst. And yet thou art the same one who said, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to thee. It is thy nearness for which we pray now. We don't want to sit through a word from thy word at a distance from thee. Whatever the things there may be in our lives that would keep that distance, even now we pray that thou wilt put thy hand upon them and remove them. We know that there's no place of joy and comfort and peace and safety like nearness to thee. Grant it, we pray, this night. Come and deal with these silly hearts of ours. How we are glad that thou dost understand everything about us. Thou art actually moved to deep sympathy when thou dost look upon our infirmities, our many weaknesses, our many failures. Thou dost not grow angry, but thy heart is moved to pity us. Come, we pray, Lord, look down upon us. Show us that pity, we pray, once again. And speak to thy children as a father who knows best what they need to hear. May it be a sweet word from thee, however painful it might be in places. May it be the kind, loving, and needful word from our Father in heaven. By his Spirit, for the glory of Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. And amen. The trial of Abraham's faith regarding the offering up of his son Isaac was the climax of nine great trials. You'll read in Genesis 22 that God comes to test Abraham's faith. I quote now, after these things. After these things. What things? He came to test his faith after nine substantial trials. Whether it was through the call of God to leave Haran, the famine that God sent, the land in which he was living, having to send Hagar and Ishmael from his home with just a bottle of water and a piece of bread out into the wilderness. 
or war with an army that far outnumbered him. Abraham had already passed through some very rough waters as a child of God. But through it all, his faith in the Lord grew stronger, and his life, as a result, became holier. Did you get that? Because his faith grew stronger in the Lord because of the testings, he became a holier man of God. But God, in spite of all that, wasn't through testing Abraham. He still had to endure a, a test more severe than all the ones had been put together. Learn a valuable lesson, therefore, from the life of Abraham. God doesn't usually put heavy crosses on weak backs. Not usually. And God doesn't usually appoint trials which are fit only for mature men in the faith, mature believers on babes in the faith. In his wise and sovereign mercy, God brings our little faith into his school, testing it little by little in proportion to our faith. The Lord does not expect a new believer to act and respond like an older believer. I'm talking about older in maturity, the years of walking with God. He doesn't expect a babe, a young believer, to respond to trials like an old saint who's been on the path for a long, long time. And well, he should. That makes sense. Therefore, I, I do not think I'm far off the mark when I say that we can expect our trials, the kind of trials, the level of trials, to increase the more we mature and the closer we get to heaven. Deep trials will often prepare the way, and I know that we don't like hearing this in the flesh, but deep trials will often prepare the way for deeper trials. Job is a case in point. It was a deep trial when he lost all ten of his children at one time and lost all of his wealth overnight. That was a deep trial to his faith. But it was a much deeper trial when his body was touched with the disease and he lived with boils all over his body where it was impossible to find relief. Never think for a moment that the road to heaven is going to become smoother the farther you walk down the road. I think that's often the conception. Oh, it's going to get easier as I get older. No, it's not. It's not. Quite the contrary. You see, the more equipped... You become, as a, as a Christian soldier, the more battles the Lord will send you into because you're better equipped. 
right? You're more skilled, you're more experienced than the young recruit. You've got wisdom that they don't have, wisdom that's needed because you have the maturity. So you can expect to be sent into more battles as an experienced soldier. The more your faith is tested and shown to be real faith in the Lord, the more your life will bring honor to him. Nothing quite like faith in the Lord through adverse trials that so glorify him. And you all have been taught in that first answer in the Shorter Catechism that your chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, if you're serious about that, really serious, then you can expect that it's going to be through the testing and proving of your faith in the Lord that you're going to really glorify him. It shouts to all around, his God is real. His faith is real. It honors the Lord. So do we actually expect, therefore, for the road to get smoother and easier the older we get? It's in the testing of your faith that your confidence in the Lord deepens. I know that we would like to be able to go to sleep at nighttime and somehow by a process of spiritual osmosis we wake up in the morning and we have more confidence in God. But it does not work that way. The confidence grows as our faith in the Lord is tested time and time again. And then it begins, I can trust the Lord. You might not have felt that, but now you find... The Lord's going to take care of this. But see, when you reach that level, you realize that, okay, there's a level of confidence that my child has in me, but there's more confidence that he or she can have in me. So therefore, I'm going to increase the trial where they're going to, their faith is going to be exercised in a way it hasn't been heretofore because that's the only way that their confidence in me is going to grow. It doesn't get easier. In the psalm before us tonight, David is a case in point. As a young teenager, he had already proved himself to be valiant for the Lord in slaying that giant Goliath. Indeed, he had uh, prior to that faced a bear and a lion and now a giant, and he came out victorious in every case. But it is in his later years, in his later years, that he's called upon to endure a trial that was probably the greatest of all. And interestingly enough, it was his son, like it was Abraham's son. It involved his boy, one of them at least. I say that because most commentators believe that the event around which David was penning this psalm was that case of his son Absalom's attempt to overthrow his father's throne. And you can read the psalm carefully with that in mind, and you'll see how why the majority of the commentators think that this is what this psalm is really all about. This is what's going on in David's life. 
It had to have been a tremendous grief to David to see this happening. It's heart-wrenching when these kinds of troubles arise with our own children. And it certainly was a test to his faith in God. He was being chased from his own home, his own, his own city, his throne, and uh, he, he is slandered, he is persecuted, his own, his own neighbors, so to speak, and his friends, his best of friends, Ahithophel comes to mind, have turned against him. And they're all plotting for his death and heading this bloodthirsty pack was Absalom. That had to be a severe test of his faith. This was far worse than Goliath, far worse than a bear and a lion. But David ends this song on a very positive note. It proves that his faith in the Lord stood the test, even though there may have been at times a faltering a little, as we're going to see in a moment. My text this evening is found in verse 24. Well known. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. The psalm that is replete with a number of sad stanzas, that's true, but how differently this ends. It's a psalm that is comes important to us the closer that we get to heaven because the greater our trials will be since we know that the more we know of God the more God will test our faith in him and since we know that if men like David are going to falter in their faith at times men like him you better believe that people like us believers like us are going to falter it seems only right to put that reminder out tonight to all of us about some fundamental truths around what James calls the trying of your faith. So from this verse, I want to, I want to speak this evening on an age-old subject. It's about heart disease. No, no, not, not, the, not the physical, but the spiritual. I'm not a cardiologist. But the Lord has appointed me to care for the sheep. And the diseases that plague the sheep. The infirmities. So what I want to deal with tonight from that last verse of Psalm 31 is the subject of weak hearts and their cure. Weak hearts and their cure. First thought. A weak heart is a common ailment in God's people. A weak heart is a common ailment in God's people. Now let me tell you why I'm talking about heart disease. Heart disease. David is implying in our text that there's a problem with the believer's heart. If you look at it carefully, you'll see that. that there's a problem with the believer's heart that he's dealing with. He's come right down, you might say, to the root of, of the matter when he speaks of the heart needing to be strengthened. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. That's what you need. 
your heart to be strengthened. It was through his heart being strengthened that his real problems would be solved. You know, isn't it amazing how, how simple the Lord settles what seem to be to us matters that are so complex? The remedy is simple. Here's the trouble, and here's the remedy. The devil really wants to make things very complicated. He's always trying to confuse the child of God. To paint the picture in blackness that we cannot begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And then God steps in and says, listen, here's your issue. Period. This is it. And here's how it will be dealt with. In the physical realm, uh, a weak heart goes undiagnosed until it's put under some kind of stress. You've known about people who appear to be in perfect health. They're athletic, well-trained in shape, we would think, and they die on the basketball court or they die on the football field. Oh, they had a heart problem. We didn't know about it. Till the stress. No one thought that someone so young, so strong, so vigorous had a heart issue. But there was a stress that was placed upon the heart and that stress showed up. There's a problem here. They don't have to always be fatal, of course. You know, the, when that heart is exercised above its normal daily stressful things, the problems began to show up. The patient begins to complain about chest pains, dizziness, shortness of breath, Tired all the time where you just want to sleep. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. It is when your soul is tested, your heart is tested beyond the, the normal cares of everyday life that we find a kind of condition our, our, our spiritual heart, our, our life of faith that's beating at the heart of it all, so to speak, is what kind of shape it's actually in. Doesn't show up until the stress shows up. None of us know the true condition of our hearts until they're put to the test, and we may be really convinced. We may think we have a strong heart. We're strong in faith in the Lord. We have an unshakable confidence in His Word. We have a good talk until that faith is put under a stress that has never been put before. And then we find there's heart trouble. we got a weak heart. We've got a weak heart. It's shown by our response to the stress 
being placed upon it. You see. You very quickly find out your level of spiritual endurance when that happens. What does it take? What does it take to give you what I could call a spiritual heart attack? You ever had one? You faint. You faint. The point I'm making in all of this is this kind of this kind of heart disease, this kind of weakening of the heart that needs to be strengthened as a common among among the Lord's people. I look out amongst, I would say most of you know what it's all about to have this heart disease. You've been there and had that spiritual heart attack. Something happened, something came along and it blew you away. You weren't expecting it. There was a trial that put tremendous pressure on you and you fell to pieces. You lost sleep. You worried for hours on end. It was a show of anything but confidence in God. The weak heart was the issue. Take careful notice to whom David addresses the words of our text. All ye that hope in the Lord. There he uses this word all. All ye. And again look at it. These are people who actually have hope in the Lord. He's talking to people who have true hope in the Lord. And, and yet they can have hearts that, that need to be strengthened. That means they have weak hearts, yet they hope in the Lord. It's real hope, it's true, it's genuine, but their hearts are weak and they need to be strengthened. David's not talking about wicked unbelievers here. He's talking about the Lord's people and about a people who have, who have placed their, their trust, their confidence in the Lord. I, I think we need to get real here if we're not. Let's all admit that we need to hear this exhortation from the lips of David as much as the next believer. It's only pride, it's only pride that refuses to admit that we are one of the number who don't have struggles and issues with this heart disease. That's that old thing of denial. Oh, I don't who me. My heart's just fine. Let's bump up the level of stress. You ever had a stress test? I'm not, I'm not talking about a chemical stress test. I mean a good old-fashioned stress test where they put you on the treadmill. It's all easy at first. A nice gentle walk. Then they start increasing the rate and putting you on an incline. And they're doing that to increase the stress to see how your heart handles it. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that God has a holy treadmill he puts his people on. That they might learn where they are. All to grow their faith. Second thought. The weak heart presents itself on many common occasions. 
As I said, it can go undetected until certain circumstances arise, and then the weakness of the heart becomes very evident. For instance, let's point out some things. And you might think the first thought here is, is, is strange in light of what I'm dealing with, but physical suffering can show up there's a weak heart here. Physical suffering. There's this close tie, you know, that God has made between our body and our souls. And we know what it's like to be exhausted physically and how that affects our temperament, how that affects our mood. Right? We act and say and do things when we're absolutely exhausted flat out that we wouldn't normally think or say or do when we were you know, fine, wide awake, rested. So when the Lord's people are put into places according to his plan where they have to suffer physically, sometimes for years, every day is a test of their trust in the Lord. Every day. Job was certainly a case in point. We know what God had to say about Job right up front in his book. There was no one like him. Pious, righteous, holy, so blessed of God. But as you read carefully through the book of Job, you find that he actually sought to justify himself and not the Lord that it wasn't right how God was treating him. He should have at least given him an audience to his prayers. But I keep searching for him, and I can't find him. I've not done anything worthy of this. He spoke rashly at times in that book. You want to know what the stress was? Physical suffering. Other times, probably much more often than not, regarding physical suffering or financial struggles. You're trying to make the ends meet. Perhaps the outgo is more than the income. You got to clothe the children, feed the family, pay the car payment, pay the mortgage or the rent whatever it is. In such circumstances, when it seems and you wonder how in the world am I going to be able to pay this month's bills, stress comes in. You find out the condition of your faith. I had a strong heart. Can I be like a George Mueller? Basically, the Lord's going to take care of this. Don't know how, but he'll take care of it. It happened over and over again in his orphanage. Or does it drive you to stress and worry and loss of sleep? Short-tempered. Blame-placing. 
thoughts that the Lord is not going to do what he promised to do. He's not going to supply the need. Ah, now, now the heart has been tested by finances. And you find out where your heart is. It's state. Sometimes it can be unfruitful labor, particularly when you're involved in the Lord's work. You feel like you're doing all you can do, and yet you don't see the, the fruit you thought you would see. I heard this past week, I don't remember where, but it was on a radio broadcast. The, the, the missionaries, I, I, we have some from the Philippines here, I don't know if they can, it was, whoever was there was 45 years before they saw the first soul brought to Christ. 45 years the preaching went on. Years before Hudson Taylor saw a soul. Seem that the labors are unfruitful. That you're laboring in vain in the Lord. That's what you think when the heart is weak. It shows it up. It comes to display when there are struggles with the old sinful flesh in your life. And there's always going to be struggles. It doesn't get easier, folks. It doesn't get easier. And as you struggle, but that war that goes on between the spirit, the lust of the spirit, the desires of the spirit, and the desires of the flesh... How is the heart? Does it lose faith in God and say, this is useless, this is pointless, I will never overcome. I am nothing but an abject failure. That is a weak heart talking. Are you listening? That is a weak heart talking. Relationships can cause it. Relationships with your children, relationships in the home with husband and wife, relationships in the church, all kinds of relationships. There are certainly a way to bring stress like you can't imagine into your life. They, they're like an x-ray, you know, or maybe a, a cardiogram would be better. A scan of the heart. Oh, didn't know that was there. Just, just the normal routine of the family, of the home, of the daily labors and the chores and the responsibilities and the children and all the issues that have to be dealt with as a family... You see, our life is a life of faith. The just shall live by faith. That's how we live. Then the more we live by faith, the better off we are. But these things show up. These, the, even the normal pressures of life can show. There's stress here. And 
I'm not dealing with this stress too well. And it's shown in my responses to these situations. Hmm. Got a little bit of heart disease going on here. Little spiritual hardening of the arteries. Third thought. There is one common element found in every case of a weak heart. One common element found in every case of a weak heart. That common element is fear. Fear. This is exactly why David gives the exhortation that he does. Be of good courage... And he will strengthen your heart. Be of good courage. In other words, don't be a coward. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. You see, with fear, always with fear, there is discouragement. They walk hand in hand. When you have been afraid, whatever you've been afraid of, whatever the situations are, you have been discouraged. You have been disheartened. You'll find that whenever this exhortation is given, be of good courage in the Old Testament, wherever it's given, it's an answer. It's always an answer to any fears that may arise in the hearts of God's people. Let me give you just a few examples. Numbers chapter 13, verse 20. Moses is going to send those 12 spies into the land of Canaan to just check things out, see what they're getting into. And he tells them before they go, this is the land of the giants. Be ye of good courage. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, Moses is about to die. His ministry, his leadership is soon to be over. He tells Joshua that you're going to be the new leader of these people. I can't imagine what that would have felt like. Roughly two million people. You're now the head of them. You're the leader of them. Bringing them into new territory, to war, to taking over a land. He wasn't Moses. He was Joshua. What did he tell him? Here's what he said to him. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. Be of good courage. Fear not. Joshua, interestingly enough, Moses is dead. God comes, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. God himself now comes and speaks to Joshua and says to him, Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Notice how the courage, be courage, be, be of good courage, and don't be afraid. Courage is the answer to the fear. Fear is the potential problem. The remedy is be of good courage. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 10, David sends Joab to battle against the Ammonites and the Syrians. And Job sees the battle was both in front of him and behind him. He's, he's like being sandwiched in between. It's not a pleasant place to be if you're in military, you're in a battle, and you've got people in front of you and they're behind you. Looks like it's your, your toast. Joab tells the soldiers, Be of good courage and let us play the man for our people. Don't be afraid. Play the man. So the exhortation to be of good courage is always found standing in contrast with fear, as so it is in our text tonight. Now, what are some of the things that make us afraid? This weak heart shows up. Well, it could be the fear of tomorrow. That simple. Something is happening tomorrow. Maybe get the results back from a test from the doctor. Maybe there's something happening at work. You've got to face it and deal with it. You're worried about it. How can I do it? I'm afraid. Hmm. A little heart problem there. What will tomorrow bring? There's good reason that Jesus Christ, on more than one occasion, told his disciples to not be afraid, be anxious, not for the morrow. Sometimes it's the fear of failure that brings it on. I'm afraid I'm going to fail at this. Or that I have failed. I failed as a father. I have failed as a husband. I have failed as a wife. I have failed as a mother. I have failed as a, as a deacon. I have failed as an elder. I have failed as a minister. Uh, whatever it might be, it's the fear of failure. And that fear puts that stress on the heart and it shows up. I, I have a heart issue. I have a heart issue here. It's not my circumstances. It's my heart. The fear of man? <laughs> the fear of man? The Lord warned against it. What about the fear of God? I mean, I don't mean the, the, the filial fear, the fear that we should have of this God who has redeemed us, this God who loves us, this God who is so good to us, this God is so mighty, so holy, but the fear that God is going to just do something bad to me. He knows all my sins. He sees my hypocrisies. He's just, he's just got this club. He, it's just about to descend upon me. His arrows are in the bow, and he's pulling the string back. And you're just expecting something terrible to happen. That's what you're expecting. 
It's a weak heart. And then what about this fear of death? The fear of death. I've been brought face to face with death in a way that I had never th imagined would ever happen. It changes your perspective. You know, Paul, his mindset was, I can't wait. I can't wait. Looking forward to my home going. No fear of death. Are you? You ever gotten to a plane and wondered, is this going to be my last plane ride? This plane's going to crash? That next physical, it's going to show up cancer. Hmm? Well, you know what? When you're not afraid of death, it's okay. Isn't it? You're not afraid to die. Your heart might be giving out literally. <laughs> You've got congestive heart failure, COPD, whatever it is. But it's okay. Because that spiritual heart is courageous. We also make the awful mistake as we think about this common element of fear in a weak heart. We often make the mistake of, of feeding our fears. We feed them. As much as we don't like them, we're weird because we feed the very thing that we don't want, that we don't like. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's insanity, you know, but one of the members of my church in Colombia, retired Navy, Master Chief, Master Chief we called him, Master Chief Petty Officer in the Navy. He said, man, we're all crazy. How true that is. It's crazy when you actually feed the fear that so ruins your peace and joy. It doesn't make any sense. The heart has become weak through fear, and it's, it's very easy to keep it that way. All you have to do is feed it, feed that which is causing all the heart trouble in the, in the first place. It'd be like those people, you know, who have uh, lung disease, lung scarring, and yet they're smoking two packs a day. Why would you do that? Why would, you, why would you do that? You're killing yourself. And yet if we lift that to the spiritual realm, why would we feed the fear? It's killing us. 
It's killing our joy. It's killing our usefulness. It's killing our happiness. It's killing our, our, our praise, our confidence. Why, why would we do that? But we do. What are some of those things that feed the fear, that keep our souls, our hearts in this weakened state whereby we live discouraged, not courage, not courageously, not of good courage, but discouraged, and anything but victorious? Well, we can feed our fears by simply failing to ponder, to stop and think. You know, it's interesting how often in various ways in the Scriptures you find God telling His people that, to stop and consider, stop and think. Take the time. Look at what David did in verse 22. Verse 22, For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. In my haste, I rushed to that judgment. I did not take the time to stop and consider before I made that statement. Because if I had, I would not have said that. I'm cut off from the Lord. Now, that was a lie that he stated. No, no believer can ever be cut off from the Lord. God meant it when he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never, ever forsake you. It's not going to happen. That, that, that word was spoken to Joshua long before it was spoken to the Hebrew Christians in chapter 13. In other words, David was well aware of this promise of God. Had not David himself penned these words, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. He wrote those words. Then why would he say, why would he say, I am cut off from the Lord? Because he didn't stop. He didn't stop to ponder. He fed his fear by failing to do that. I said in my haste. And if we do not stop and take the time, when the stress test comes, and it will come, the Lord will put you on his holy treadmill, all for your good. And we will find that our heart rate, I'm not transfer spiritual now, our heart rate will begin to be very rapid, showing there's a weakness in the heart if we do not stop to take the time to ponder these truths that give us courage. The old saying is, I think you need to remember it here, haste makes waste. Oh, does it ever waste. We can also feed our fears by forgetting our pardon. Notice what David says in verse 10. Look, 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 look. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. 
if the vast bulk of the commentators are correct in saying this psalm was penned around the attempted overthrow by Absalom, his son, then I know what iniquity he was talking about. It was his sin with Bathsheba. We talked about that this morning in the Bible class. The sword was not going to leave his family because of what he did with Bathsheba. There was a price to pay for that. There was consequences for that. God, God forgave him. Your iniquity's pardoned, but this will be the result. Surely that would have been running through David's mind as now Absalom is trying to kill his father. Came back to haunt him. You ever have sins in your past that come back to haunt you? They, they, they come with freshness into your mind. Oh, you've asked God to forgive you. And you've trusted him that he would forgive just as he said he would. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But still they come up to haunt. Many a believer feeds their fears by forgetting, by forgetting that God's pardon is free and it's full and it's final. When God says he forgives, he forgets. And I don't mean that God literally forgets about what you did or what you said. He, could, he would have to stop being God to do that. He couldn't be omniscient and actually truly forget. But what it means, he says, when I forgive, I will never ever in my dealings with you bring those sins up. They are forgiven. You know how it is in relationships, you know, husbands and wives. You know, it's, it's an awful thing when the you've had a fallen out, somebody was in the wrong, maybe you both were in the wrong, and you're forgiven, but then six months later, something happens, and it's brought up. What in the world are you doing? The, the, the sore, the pain has been healing, and you've just ripped off the scab. Now you're dealing with the other individual on terms of sin that you said have been forgiven. And we think God is like that. And he's not like that. He doesn't bring them up. I've forgiven it. It's pardoned. There's no condemnation. In fact, all of your sins that you haven't even committed yet have been dealt with by the blood atonement of my son. They've already been covered. And that's why there will never be condemnation for you. But we forget all about the pardon when those sins come to haunt us. Whether they be the sins of the morning or yesterday or a week or a year or 10 or 20 years ago, the fact of the matter is God said it's done. You're forgiven. It's a sign of a weak heart. 
It's feeding the fear when we forget the finality and the fullness of God's pardon for our sin. What we are seeing here tonight are just truths we can walk out those two doors tonight with and live upon and feed upon every day of the week. Instead of feeding the fear, making the heart even weaker. Why would you want to do that? It's insanity, you know. But we're all crazy. We're all crazy, aren't we? Crazy. We can also feed our fears, and this is probably so common, we can feed our fears by focusing on our problems. You can't help but notice that this is exactly what David was doing in this psalm. He's recounting in this psalm one problem after another after another. He says in verse 13 that fear was on every side. And we we feed our fear when we focus, our mind is consumed with the trouble, with the stress. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean, if the Lord said, be anxious for nothing, he meant that. He meant it. Don't have an anxious thought, a, a thought full of worry about anything. So can we play with that? Can we play with that command and expect to have a peace that passes understanding? Expect to have courage when we're faced with these things that cause fear? How in the world is that going to happen, brothers and sisters? How is that going to happen? Talk is cheap. The walk isn't. The heart disease goes from bad to worse. When we focus on the things that are causing us to fear. Fourthly, and finally, there is a powerful cure for the weak heart. Simply put, to come back to the text, the cure for this heart problem, problem is to be of good courage. That's what he says. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Be of good courage, and your heart will grow stronger. That's interesting. That's interesting. How, when our hearts are full of discouragement and fear, can we be of good courage? Well, obviously, the Lord expects us to come to our senses, to not sit there and, and feel sorry for ourselves, but to take action. You see, <laughs> being of good courage looks like something. Uh, you know, it's easy for, for preachers to throw out all these things. Just be of good courage. Play the man. What does that look like? How does that actually work? What will I actually do to be courageous? Well, first off, you will pray. 
First step in resolving a weak heart is prayer. Look at verse 2. Bow down thine ear to me, deliver me speedily, be thou my strong rock for those house of defense against me. That's prayer. Look at verse 17. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Verse 22. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. David kept saying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. The worst thing that you and I can do when our hearts are weak and discouraged and fearful is not pray. It's the worst thing we can do. And yes, that's the very thing the devil wants you to do. He does not want you to draw nigh to God where your faith will be strengthened. Do anything but pray. Turn on the television and watch it. Get on the internet and get on Facebook. Do all those things, and I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll kill any courage that might be there. You'll weaken your heart more and more. But when you pray, when you come and you pour out your heart before the one who is a refuge for us, God is a very present help in time of trouble. There is no shortcut there is no special meeting you'll be able to come to and hear a sermon that presto changeo, you're courageous when you walk out. It's not going to happen. It's going to be getting on your face before God and telling him, Father, I am scared to death. I am so afraid. I am worried. And you tell me not to be. Lord, help me. Don't you know he loves to hear that? That's what he's after. He loves to hear the cries for help. Not does he simply love to hear the cries for help. He loves to answer them. And his spirit strengthens our hearts. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will keep, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Weak hearts are not found in the prayer closet. Courageous hearts are. They're means of grace, avenues, channels through which God imparts grace to our souls, and we grow stronger and more courageous. And then the circumstances don't overwhelm us. And we rest in the Lord. It comes through prayer. Tell me, how long has it been since you've talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you've prayed? How long since you've stayed on your knees to the light shone through? How long? 
not only pray, but praise the Lord. It's critical. Look at verse 7. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Down to verse 19. Oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Verse 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. You know what he's doing? He's telling the Lord all about the trouble, all about the thing that's causing him to be afraid. I mean, Absalom, <laughs> he's had to flee the city. His life is in jeopardy. Things are bad. Ahithophel, his, his most trusted counselor, has gone with Absalom. It looks bad, folks. He's telling all about it. But he's praying and he's praising. Stand up and bless the Lord. That's what I'm saying. You'll find that as you praise the Lord, you bless Him, you thank Him for what He has done and what He yet will do, that your focus will no longer be upon the things that's causing you to be afraid, that's giving you this weak heart. It'll be upon your mighty God, who's bigger than all your troubles. You believe that? hope you do. It's the gospel truth. Finally, not only pray, not only praise, but patiently wait upon the Lord. Wait. That word hope, all ye that hope in the Lord, literally means wait. All ye that wait on the Lord, wait. The disciples were rowing in the ship one night, and the wind was contrary to them. Hours and hours and hours are pulling the oars, making so little progress. Suppose there were two angels looking on. I'm sure there are many more, but just take two. Looking on down these disciples rowing. And one angel says to the other, Look, there's the master disciples. They're in deep trouble. The other angel says, Yeah, but... No need to be afraid. Because their master is up there on the mountain and he's praying for them. It's going to be all right. Before long, they actually see Christ walking across the waves that are so boisterous, so troubling, so worrying. He's actually walking across those waves and he eventually gets into the ship. 
And then the angels say, ah, no, it's impossible for that ship to sink because Christ is in them, with them in the ship. It's not going to go down. Isn't that how we are to wait upon the Lord? The ship is not going to go down. It's not going to be our destruction. It's not going to be our death, our demise. The master of the ocean and skies is in the ship. It's fine. I just have to wait on him. Pray, praise, patiently wait. And that's God's remedy for a weak heart. It's ours. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord together, please. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank Thee that Thou art so patient with us, never growing weary of teaching us the same lessons again and again, doing whatever it takes until we take a new step and learn the truth that we need to learn. There is no God like unto thee. As we leave the Sabbath day in this house of the Lord, we pray that we will take these truths with us. We will indeed pray over them, talk about them with each other, within the family. And we look for that seed that's been planted to bring forth much fruit, for that is thy purpose in sowing the seed. So, Spirit of God, who art the Comforter, come alongside thy people tonight, and may they hear thee speak to them, and to thy people, those words, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.